really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby union. As always, I'm David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, I'd love to hear from you. So I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. You can find me on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast, and you can always drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. By the way, we did get another five-star review this week. That really made my week. It was terrific. And this week, as you will shortly understand, sucked big time. So that was a real ray of sunshine. I appreciate it. Uh, we do have a lot to cover this week. So with all the admin out of the way, let's get the show rolling. So current updates. And, you know, I tend to write my notes up for this segment a few days ahead of time. And this week, that kind of backfired. Uh, we were all set to go see the in-laws down in Texas this week. It's a week off from school. Uh, had a whole litany of places to go and things to do. The highlight, of course, was going to be the Witty Museum, which is this great place in San Antonio that features just incredible dinosaur skeletons, replicas, and fossils. It's an awesome place. Uh, if you've been a recent listener, you'll know my son is crazy go nuts for all things dino these days. So we were very much looking forward to a nice break, a nice trip, a nice piece of time to spend with the Texas fam, who we rarely get to see. But then, ugh, the timing honestly felt punitive in a weird way, but my son, he caught COVID at kindergarten this week, got sent home after a positive test on Friday. Uh, I hope this isn't TMI, but this was turned into sort of a triple whammy of bad news for us, because it meant not only could we not go on the trip as we had planned, it was even worse news for my mom. So my mom's sister, my lovely and wise Aunt Eva, she was overtaken by a storm of cancer and bad news, getting diagnosed with lung cancer, just completely out of the blue, being given a few months to live, then whoosh, within a week or a week and a half, she was just gone. My my uncle Louie, he might be the toughest person I've ever met. You know, he spent years toiling away, uh, toiling away in the steel mills of Baltimore uh, since, you know, as long as I can recollect. He, he is completely and utterly devastated. His whole world just crashed down like a bolt of lightning. And, and now, because we saw my parents the night before my son got the, uh, the positive test, my mom won't be able to safely attend the funeral of her own sister, who she loves so very much. It, it makes me mad, sad, and disappointed all at the same time. But, you know, I keep reminding myself I'm the lucky one in this scenario. So definitely one of the toughest weeks I've had since starting the pod. I apologize for going on about it, but I, I've made it my policy here to be open and honest with you guys. And that's where I'm at. So thanks to all of you for your support ahead of time. It's, it's always a boon to have just an extra bunch of sort of quasi-family out there to lean on. And I very much appreciate that. He's taking, he's taking people have to know. No, Isa, I'm afraid it's not good news again this week. Uh, so this week I saw that Claudia McDonald, the scrum half for England's Red Roses, she might have seen the end of her rugby career. So last November, she was injured in training, and she and her doctors, it seems, just badly underestimated the severity of the injury to her neck. So since then, she's had to endure just a pattern of you know, thinking she's going to be back out on the pitch in three or four weeks, only to find out that that's not happening. Lather, rinse, repeat. Only recently did she learn the true extent of the damage. To quote the BBC website where I found this info, linked, of course, in the show notes, quote, with an acute prolapsed disc and another bulging disc, McDonald has been told she may recover in 12 to 18 months, or maybe not at all. 
The versatile back who can also play in the wing has continued non-contact training with Wasps, but says the uncertainty of the injury, quote, runs around your brain, unquote. She continues, quote, some days I'm desperately upset about it. Some days I'm angry. Some days I'm in denial and still think I can play. My neck is absolutely fine, especially when I'm running around in training. Other days I can get excited and look forward to whatever might be next. It's, it's all over the place, really, unquote. Ms. McDonald, I, I can't imagine how, this tough, how tough this must be for you. When we here at the Scrum of the Earth, we wish you all the best in your recovery. I hope you get good news very, very soon. Tough times for sure. Okay, moving on to our thoughts of the week, and my thoughts this week are on the cool interview I just saw with Nick Cummins, the, the honey badger himself, who most of you know is responsible for the, the brilliant quote I use at the top of each podcast episode. He was on Rugby Pass Offload, and I've linked it in the show notes, of, uh, as always. Of course, he just he never fails to be a great chat. I highly recommend you check it out. It's so much fun. Okay, and as always, that brings us to our reviews. I got to start this week by mentioning... The Scottish Super Six League started back up this weekend, and I was just completely blindsided by it. I honestly had no idea it was back. Uh, it was so, it's so weird. When it, when it ended last season, I had really taken a shine to it, and I bemoaned in this very space how long it would be until its return. Then when it did come back, I just hadn't a clue. I missed the first weekend entirely. Of course, if I had known, I have no idea how I possibly could have fit it into my somewhat absurd viewing schedule right now. So I apologize, but I might not be covering this league for a little while. Uh, nevertheless, good luck to the Bears this season. <clears throat> so what I did watch, of course, MLR had their round 11. My beloved Free Jacks are on a bye this week. Those lazy sods. You know, just kidding. Please don't kill me. Uh, but we still had plenty of MLR action to watch on April 15th. It was what I was calling the Desperation Showdown with DC. Uh, at home for Utah. And guess what? DC finally came through. So James Dealey of MLR Stats, my most recent guest, specifically said they'd be winning very soon. And boy, was he right. It was a tight one with DC prevailing only by a single point over the Utah what on earth happened to us Warriors, 22 to 21 in front of their home crowd. What a night. Then on the 16th, it was Toronto versus NOLA and the Arrows. They put on a show laying 53 points on NOLA. The Gold's 36 points would have won them the majority of matches on the day, but it wasn't even close in Toronto. Uh, maybe it's the exchange rate now that I think about it. Oh, oh, well, I don't really get metric. It's probably got to do with that, right? Or, or maybe there's AC adapters or something. I'm not an expert. Anyway, LA were at home <laughs> to face Houston, and the reigning champs, they kept their win streak alive, doing just enough to get past the Thundercats, 17-12 uh, to 12 in the end. It seems like they're in that mode where they just kind of adjust their level of play to just a notch above that of their current competition every week, and that seems frightening to me. Anyway, we had Seattle at home for San Diego. The Seawolves, they won a squeaker against the San Diego side that seemed like they should be a lot better. I, I really can't figure out either of these teams this year. It was 34-32 to 32, um, at the final whistle at the Starfire. Of course, Dallas were at home, another Texas Derby facing Austin, and, you know, if Dallas are going to get a win this year, it's not going to be against this Austin team who just lit them on fire and watched the ashes blow away. It was just an all-time romp with the league scoring leaders dropping yet another 55 on a team that couldn't manage more than a single penalty kick all day. Youch. So all this means as two Eastern Conference heavyweights rest up in preparation for the uh, penultimate clash in Hoboken, we've got Austin taking over the league lead in table points, leading the MLR with 38 points to R37, though we have played one fewer game than them. Uh, it's also it's interesting to me that there are three teams in the West knotted at 5-5, five and five, while there are none in the East. It's also interesting that the top two teams in the East have only played nine matches. I keep saying it, but this season just keeps giving. I mean, unless you're Dallas. Okay, moving on to Europe. 
first thing in my notes just said, holy cow. This tournament officially kicked into top gear this weekend. Just a torrid stretch of fixtures. I'm still shaking my head in awe from this weekend. So on Friday, starting off with the Heineken Cup, of course. Uh, not as exciting way to start as it could have been, but Leinster, they were at home for Connacht. It looked like it was going to be a walkover for Leinster. And to start the match, Ryle Nugent informed us that Connacht have one solitary win in Leinster in the last, wait for it, 20 years. Holy crap. Sure enough, it was 28-3 to by halftime, and in the first few minutes of the second half, it became 35-3. to Connacht finally got themselves a try, but Leinster would answer back uh, with New Zealand-born James Lowe getting yet another try. To their credit, Connacht, they managed to you know find a couple more scores, but they were not able to slow down the home side. Heading into the final 10 minutes, they found themselves down 49-20. to James Lowe had a heck of a night getting his fourth try as the clock went red and completing a 56-20 to 20 dismantling of the guys from Galway. Painful one to watch for me, for sure. Next up was Bristol versus Sale. And, you know, for some reason, I just have major Sale fatigue right now. It just feels like they're constantly on. And when they're on, it kind of feels like you're just watching a box kick instructional video, at, like, the whole time, you know? They're like the anti-super rugby. It's weird. Anyway. After a scoreless first quarter, Faf got a yellow card, but Ugo let us know that the Bears average only four points per 10 minutes against 14 players. Great stat, that. Uh, Bristol, they were down 3-10 to 10 when another card came out, this time a red, and Sale looked a bit rattled out there, but they managed to get back on track. They scored again right at the intermission uh, when it was 3-17. to 17. At about minute 48, Sale got yet another yellow card and found themselves in the odd position of being up despite missing players for most of the game, and they were down to 13 men with a score 3-24, to just a really weird one. So then Harry Thacker, who I <laughs> just this weekend realized I'm constantly confusing with Zach Mercer, uh, he scored to shorten the gap. Uh, Sale got themselves another yellow, and Bristol took advantage this time of the disarray on Sharks' defense, scoring again. And with 25 minutes to go, they were only down a converted try, 17-24. to 24. Right at the 63-minute mark, Joe Joyce smashed his way in for a massive try. Suddenly it was tied. This one had become very interesting indeed. Then it was the Bears' turn to get a yellow card. Sale got a couple of penalties to make the aggregate score, as they'd been displaying by this point, 34-39 to 39 in favor of the Sharks with just six and a half left. Sale, they held on to earn themselves a quarterfinal spot in the Heineken Cup. Turned out pretty exciting after all. Anyway, oh my gosh, on Saturday, it was Harlequins at home from Montpellier. Oh, my friends, what a match. Apart from having Philippa on comms again, who I have to say sounded more enraptured and ecstatic than I've ever heard her. The game itself was unbelievable. Quins were starting from way behind, then seeming to take complete control. Oh my word, former Diamond in the Ruck recipient Alex Dombrandt dropped off the softest shovel pass I've ever seen to get them there first, uh, then scored the next one himself. Holy gods, what a player. But Montpellier, they, uh, Montpellier, they were not here to roll over. And this one turned into a massive fight. Harlequins leading by four in the match, but trailing by ten in the aggregate. And the skills on display on both sides were absolutely incredible. This game, I'm telling you, was uneffing believable. With only seconds remaining in the first half, it was 28 to 17 in favor of Quinns, though that only got them to 54 to 57 overall. Montpellier looked more than happy to play. My friends, this one, it just kept getting more and more intense. My pick to win the Prem this year were ahead eight on the day, though six behind in the competition, and only six uh, and a half minutes remained. Then, right at the 75 minute mark, it was young Lewis Leinach getting a gorgeous try, only meters to the left of the posts. It couldn't get any more exciting than that. What a weekend. But 
then, shockingly, almost unbelievably, Magic Marcus Smith, pretty much right in front of the posts, kicked it wide left. The hole by Cook, trying to spin it around. Did not quite get the laces all the way, but just a 32-yarder. And Cundiff, a Pro Bowl kicker a year ago. Wide left from 32. Well, the Ravens, a couple good plays. And you know what? This is why this game is so great. The, the clock has gone dead. The home side had won 33 to 20 on the actual day, but the aggregate score had them down a single solitary point, and that was that. Montpellier had found a way into the quarterfinals, breathtaking rugby on this weekend. Just incredible. So, <laughs> next up was Munster at home for Exeter. So right at the start of this one, we saw Peter Omani. He's coming out holding the hands of two cute little kids who I assume, you know, lost a contest of some kind. But fortunately, he managed to resist the urge to cheap shot either of them. So, in any event, it was a tight one, at least on the aggregate, with Exeter looking to tie things up overall right at the break. But the kick went wide, and Munster, up 13-5 to on the day, were up three overall. What a weird competition this is. Don't get me wrong, I love it. So, the Chiefs got themselves another try about 10 minutes into the second period, giving them an aggregate lead for the very first time. But just prior to the three-quarter mark, Munster kicked a penalty to retake the game and overall lead. Another pen saw that lead grow. And there were four total points to sort who would be quarterfinalists with 15 minutes left to go. At minute 73, Munster got another try, and the day was darkening for the Chiefs, with Munster ahead overall by 11 points with under five minutes remaining. The final comments by our analysts in the booth were, the clock goes red, the songs are being sung, and Munster are into another championship quarterfinal. The game score was 26 to 10, and the aggregate 34 to 23. Great stuff. What a weekend. Next up was La Rochelle for Bordeaux, uh, facing Bordeaux Begla. Um, it's worth noting, seeing someone blow bubbles with Dayglow gator gum really significantly takes away from the impact of a moment of silence leading into this one. <laughs> it was something else. Anywho, uh, the Board Beagles, as I've somehow started thinking of them, scored first, but it was tied at three after the first 20 minutes. So for the second time, I think, they've mentioned that the presidents or CEOs of the teams always sit together during these fixtures, which I think is pretty cool. Every now and then you get a shot of two very rich and well-dressed people just really animatedly talking about the game you're watching. It's weirdly cool and interesting. Unfortunately, Bordeaux Begla became the Bordeaux Boneheads, I wrote somewhat uncreatively. I kind of probably should take that one back. Uh, anyway, they got an obvious red card only, about, uh, only around 25 minutes. They had a hard time keeping pace after that. They made the score look fully respectable, but really they were just outclassed by La Rochelle on the lovely day, 31 to 23 all told. And that made three consecutive victories over three consecutive Saturdays, and Bordeaux's hopes were dashed. Next up was Leicester Tigers at home for Clermont. I found myself really pleased to hear Austin Healy on comms in the opening moments of this one. I've, I've really come all the way around on him. He's, he's pretty great. In any event, Leicester, they came home with a 19-point edge to start, and they were all business. I'm honestly not sure if it was a defensive battle or just maybe not a very good game, but... Leicester Tigers, they looked complacent in their 7-3 halftime lead, and after three quarters of play, it was 22-10, and a, a bit of a snoozer, really. Sporting two yellow cards, Claremont looked cooked at that point. Of course, right on cue, Leicester spotted them a, a red card to sort of even things out, but their aggregate lead was 31 points at that stage. Um, they could have called me in off the bench and still won, though I would now be dead. Uh, anyway, 10 minutes left, and the Tigers looked as bored as I felt, and in the end, they would advance to the quarterfinals with a... <laughs> Huh? What? Oh, sorry. 
Next up was Ulster at home for Toulouse. Oh, yet another absolute cracker of a fixture. Just incredible stuff this weekend. So down 20 to 23, but up in the aggregate 46 to 43. Ulster got a red card with only a quarter hour to play, and it was an absolute nail biter. Close to 10 minutes left, and Ulster got a perfect line out, followed by Toulouse getting pinged for collapsing the mall. And John Cooney looked to kick the three, already four for four on the day. A massive roar for the faithful fans as it went through, making the total margin six for the two-game series. Some absolutely nutty decisions handling the ball by Toulouse, and they also they almost fell right onto their own sword, so to speak. But they did get it back with a penalty, and they were well within range as they got another penalty against Ulster. So down six points, six and a half to play. They have to go for the corner, I'm thinking, right? They might not have time to get the ball back, but, uh, you know, if they don't, I would think. And hey, look at me, being right for a change. Entomac went to the corner, but Ulster stole the line out. Oh my word, I'm sweating right now. They cleared it out, but not nearly as far away as they would have liked. And again, the French side were attacking up a man. Oh my word, the crowd is absolutely silenced as Dupont, he breaks through two defenders and gets one in to bring his team back within one point overall with an easy two staring at them right in front of the posts. Total gut punch for Ulster. Suddenly down one, and to make it worse, an Ulster player got his bell rung while making a tackle and had to come off the field. The highs and lows in this one. Holy cow, the pendulum just doesn't swing any further than this. Ulster, they had a final shot with just under four minutes, needing only a penalty to steal victory from the jaws of crushing defeat. However, they got pinged for not releasing, and Toulouse looked to spend as much time as possible just keeping it away from the home team. They got a punishing mall rolling, and Ulster were once again pinged for coming into the side, which gave the visitors another kick to the corner as the clock frittered away. They kicked it out right at the 80-minute mark. The double whistle blew, and the silence from the crowd was deafening. Just such a tough loss. Absolutely incredible stuff. Friends, this is why I love this sport. Just so many edge-of-your-seat, mind-blowing results this weekend alone. God, I love this tournament. I can't even conceive of how Ulster fans must feel right now. Man, oh man. Phew, okay, that made it time for Sunday's match. Rassic 92 at home to, fa uh, to face Stade Francais, and oh my word, yet another, another amazing game with Rassing down 3-10 to 10, despite a yellow card to Stade, and the visitors were down 6 altogether overall. Exciting bit of rugby politics where the, the ref sent off two props at the same time, just sick to death of what he was seeing at scrum time. The comms were pretty shocked by it, but I thought that was rather nifty. Never seen that one. Anyway, I was watching this one somehow in terms of that single match and thought how close it was when I finally realized around the 35th minute that while Stad were up two, they were still down 11 overall. Rough. Oh, and by the way, they somehow earned a thing I hadn't really heard of before, which was two yellows equals a red, and a man was off for the duration. Interesting stuff. In the end, it was a perfect bookend for Rusting, winning by 11 away and then 11 at home finishing off stud 33 to 22 on the day and 55 to 31 all told very exciting teams are set to go to this quarterfinals make no mistake about that of course there was also the challenge cup which they're still not letting me watch right now it's a little annoying but maybe next week anyway on friday we saw london irish at home for cast my newest friend james Dealey of mlr stats he must have been as they say chuffed for this one with his London Irish destroying cast to the tune of 64-27. to 27. I don't believe I've ever seen the former No-Nos get 64 points. Just a veritable smashing, this one. Next, it was Biarritz. They were facing Wasps. This one looked exciting after the fact, but uh, of course I can't actually watch these games, despite what they said earlier in the year, without ponying up some dough to yet another lackluster streaming service, and I will not do that right now. Anyway, 
29 to 39 was the score at the end with the majorly up and down Wasps getting a nice road win in France. Then it was Lyon. They were facing uh, Worcester. I was unsurprised to see that Lyon had their way slapping around the Warriors 31 to 17 all told. I'm desperately trying to find something else to say about this one and nope. Next up, it was uh, Newcastle hosting Glasgow. Friend of the pod, John Anderson, must have been smiling ear to ear as his Warriors tamed the Falcons to the fist. 17 to 27 was the end result. And for me, it's just nice to see a URC team beat a Prem team, especially away, considering all the naysaying I hear about the quality of these two leagues. Great result on the road for the Yosemite Sams. On Saturday, it was Toulon versus Benetton, uh, with the home team more than doubling up their Italian visitors. 36 to 17 was the score in a match that never looked truly competitive. Uh, Gloucester were at home for uh, Northampton. The Cherry and Whites won at home by a nice round 10. And I'm not going to lie, didn't catch a single second of it, nor a single highlight. 31-21 was your score. That's plenty for me. I have no more. Anyway, moving on to Edinburgh at home for Bath. Friend of the pod, Craig Manson, was there with his son, witnessing a smashing win by his team, 41-19 in the end, despite it looking close early on. Congrats, Craig. Good job. On Sunday, it was Saracens versus Cardiff. I was surprised to see Cardiff managing to score 33 points, but unfortunately for them, Sarah's got 40. Another big win at Stone X Stadium. Much closer match than I would have imagined, however. Okay, finally, moving on to Super Rugby Pacific. As I mentioned last week, we had an Oddball Tuesday match on the 12th, which was Hurricanes versus Moana Pacifica, which until this weekend I realized I had been mispronouncing, apparently. Um, sadly, though, they were pretty much overmatched the whole way. It was already 22-5 to 5 at halftime. And as they described it on a New Zealand website, quote, the Hurricanes have ruthlessly exposed Moana Pacifica's substandard mall defense to inflict a 53-12 to defeat on the Super Rugby newcomers, exacting revenge for their shock loss last month, unquote. Other headlines frequently involve the use of the word thrash, I notice. So TJ Paranaro was out there uh, with a mostly sort of second team. I imagine that was due to a late scratch this past weekend. Uh, and he managed to get his 58th Super Rugby try, leaving him only two behind Izzy Falau. It would be lovely for him to get that record this year. You know, come on, TJ. So, guys, <clears throat> this was a big one. On Friday, the 15th, it was the Crusaders at home for Blues. Before the match, they put a graphic on the screen mentioning the Curse of Carlos. So, naturally, I was compelled to look that up. And I found an article explaining that the Blues had been great while they had a player named Carlos Spencer, until a certain Joe Schmidt came along. The new coach and Spencer didn't see eye to eye, and soon enough he was let go, ending up ultimately in Northampton, of all places. Since then, it said the, Bull, uh, the Blues have been terrible, and the article said, quote, maybe the time has come for Aucklanders to be talking about the curse of Carlos, as surely it can't be coincidence that the Blues have made mediocrity a habit since they pushed their sensationally gifted playmaker into the arms of Northampton in 2005, unquote. That was when I looked at the date on the article, and it was from 2012, a full decade ago. Incredible. I then learned that the Blues haven't won in Christchurch since February 27th, 2004. Can you even believe that? Blues haven't beaten Crusaders at all since 2014. And Crusaders were currently on a 14-game win streak against the Blues. But I wrote, you know, tonight's a new night. And to me, the Blues team I've been watching this year look very capable of taking down the Crusaders. But either way, I loved basking in the history of this rivalry. It was set to be the match of the month. As I'd hoped, it was very close in the first half, with both sides determined to play it from anywhere and everywhere. After 20 minutes, it looked like it was headed for a, a typical result. Both teams had scored once, but Blues got a penalty and Crusaders converted a try. So 28-12 to 12 looked like a, an eminently likely final score in this one. However, the Blues found a little pixie dust there. They scored a lovely try to take the lead, and then, oh my word, 
Dalton Papali'i, despite being the size of a Kodiak bear, showed some deft footwork and subtly shed a few would-be defenders to get another. Suddenly, with less than 10 minutes and a half, Blues found themselves up 7-17 to after that conversion. Such good rugby on display, folks. Another great breakthrough drive for Blues, and in desperation, David Havili committed what the comms called a professional foul, earning himself a yellow card and giving Blues a chance for another three right as the first half was ending. But it went wide to keep the score the same. Could Blues hold on to this momentum, I wrote. Later, ouch. A red card for Scott Baird at the 45-minute mark for a shoulder to the head. Blues would have an extra man for the next 20 minutes. Immediately after that, Blues took advantage and smashed in another try. And after Bodie made the extras, it was 10-24. to 24. All the momentum was in Blues' favor at that stage. And, and this is the Crusaders we're talking about, of course. And two tries can happen very quickly. So dot, dot, dot. Right on cue, Sabu Reese. He blew past several defenders to get a scorching try in the corner. With 10 minutes left on the red card, it was 15-24. to 24. Blues looked legitimately rattled at that point. Another penalty and Crusaders pulled within 18-24, to 24, heading into that final 20 minutes. Oh my word, the pace of this match was just unreal. I've, I've never seen so many lineouts taken so quickly. It's like It was like a race, like a, a side game or something. Uh, both teams, uh, teams seemed absolutely intent on out-hustling the opposition. It was just madness out there. However, Bowden Barrett, he got three back, and it was still a two-score game with a quarter hour to go. And then... Obviously, I know how dangerous the Crusaders are, but they committed a forward pass, and the guy catching it clearly knocked it on, but the officials said nothing. Suddenly, it was another try, and Crusaders were within four and looming large. Very frustrating with two, to me, obvious no-calls right in a row that led to a try. That This was looking dark. However, Blues, they held on. What an ending. The curse of Carlos has been dispelled. The Blues getting their first victory over the Crusaders in eight years and their first win in Christchurch in 18. Holy cow, what a result. So good. Everything I'd hoped for. Clearly, I will need to spend a lot less time on the other Super Rugby fixtures this week because this one just took over all my notes and my brain and my heart, frankly. Blues, they look poised to win it all again this year to me. Next up was another great match with the Rebels hosting the Reds. It was, it was fantastic with the Reds leading by a slim margin most of the way until after the three-quarter mark, the Rebels took their first lead of the night and looked poised for an upset. But then, yet another former Diamond in the Ruck recipient, Taniela Tupo, he smashed his way through just a handful of defenders for an emphatic try to retake the lead. Oh, when he does the leap and dive, you know, like he's diving into a pool or something, it's, it's a thing to watch. You can practically feel the, the ground shake over here. Um, so... Almost immediately thereafter, however, a guy named Josh Fluke broke away for a long run into the corner, suddenly sw uh, swelling the lead to 11 with only the final 10 minutes to go. That was also the moment when it finally clicked. Kate McDermott looks like that Tiger King guy, and now I can't unsee it. Ugh. In any event, the Rebels answered back to make it 32-36 to 36 with only a couple minutes remaining. They looked threatening as the game ticked down, but in true form. Reds got a turnover as the clock went their namesake, and they would escape with the four-point victory. Another great match. Man, oh, man. On Saturday, it was the Chiefs hosting Moana Pacifica, and at the start of the broadcast, they showed their match predictor stat, and it indicated that the Chiefs had a 97% chance. Yikes. Sure enough, it was never really in doubt. And though, as always, Moana Pacifica showed some moments of pure brilliance. They are fun to watch when it clicks. But it was the Chiefs' day from start to finish with a final sort of rub-your-face-in-it try to make it 45-12 to 12 right at the end. I, for one, am desperately hoping the expansion franchises can make some real headway soon. 
Side, side note, by the way, and this must seem like tremendously obvious, but my habit of rooting for the underdog has led me to a lot of disappointing results, I'm realizing. But I mean, that's why they're underdogs, right? I, I always think, oh, here comes an upset, and it never happens. But I should probably know that by now, right? Oh, uh, one other side note. As an American fan, in particular, a fan living in Boston, the number of Yankees hats you see in the crowds all over the world is really annoying. It, here's a phrase that's common where I live. Yankees suck. Try it for yourself. It actually feels good. Yankees suck. Yankees suck. Next up was my Highlanders facing the Hurricanes. It was a tough evening for my boys, the, getting a red card right around the 20-minute mark when they were already behind. Hurricanes, they ran in a couple of tries while the Highlanders managed only a couple of kicks by good old Marty Banks. Highlanders trade 6-14 to 14 at the break. Hurricanes, they, they really look like a team on the ascendancy to me, but at the same time, they haven't really found a replacement for La Mape, who's tearing up trees in France nowadays. But, I mean, that's not surprising. He's truly special. In any case, it was 11-17 when the Highlanders got themselves a scrum penalty, but Banks muffed the kick to the corner. All that momentum was lost. The side note, they kept playing Living on a Prayer all day, and I just have to wonder, if he was halfway there in 1986, surely he must have arrived by now. In any event, around minute 65, there was an insane scramble in front of the Hurricanes' posts, and in a blink, Highlanders were over and taking their first lead of the game, 21-17 after Banks kicked the extras, that lead was short-lived, however, with Aiden Morgan on debut, getting his first career try and giving his team the lead once again. Jordy couldn't make the conversion. It was a one-point contest with about five minutes left. Not good signs for my guys. And with the clock in the red, Highlanders were on a massive drive, and it appeared, at least to me, to have got they, they appeared to have gotten the winning try, but for some reason, ref didn't see it that way, whistled the game dead to a chorus of boos from throughout the stadium. What a crappy way to be handed another loss. I thought the officials had done a fantastic job all day, but ugh, what a sick feeling that gives you. Anyway, finally, Force were at home for the Waratahs. I was really hoping the Force would be true to their name, but I was, you know, I was just dying for a close one over in Australia. Of course. You can't always get what you want. The Waratahs welcoming back Michael, Coop, uh, Michael Hooper at number seven. They jumped out to a 17-point lead before 12 minutes had elapsed. Just blew the doors off them. Uh, both sides scored and converted tries after that, and it was 7-24 uh, to 24 going into the locker room. The force showed some grit in the second half, scoring 17 more points, but it was nowhere near enough. And the Waratahs, despite a pair of yellow cards at the end, took the away victory to the tune of 24-41. to 41. There's some clear haves and have-nots in Super Rugby right now, and... Uh, I'd rather not talk about it. Thank you very much. So looking at the league table quickly, I see their plan from the makeup matches has worked in that all the teams have now had eight games under their belts. Uh, the Blues, the Brumbies, and the Rebels, they sit on top by virtue of single losses with Crusaders close behind. Those totals are 31, 31, 30, and 28 points with the Blues on top by virtue of points scored overall. There are three teams then in the 20s with the Taz, Chiefs, and Canes on 24, 23, and 20. And then there's a drop-off with the, the uh, Force and Rebs in the teens. And then my Highlanders, the Fijian Drua, and Moana Pacifica rounding out at the very bottom with one win apiece. Yikes. Of course, when you hear that music, you know it is time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award, and this week, the prestigious award, along with everything that accompanies it, it goes to Anthony Gelonche of Toulouse. Monsieur Gelonche, 
You were the difference in the closest contest of the entire weekend, and on an evening when the traditional stars weren't really shining, you lit up that arena. Apart from your hammering defense, it was your soft hands that got the ball out that became the difference maker in this one, and to you, it was just another day at the office. Helped in large measure by your brilliance, your team became the only one to register a win at the Kingspan in Belfast in this entire tournament. Monsieur Gelange, congratulations to you on getting through to a European quarterfinal. Enjoy all the spoils and the accolades that come along with it for you, my friend, are the lucky winner of this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. Congratulations. Okay, of course, that brings us to our previews for next week. Well, the elusive EPCR tournaments. They go dormant again for a couple of weeks. They'll be coming back May 6th. Uh, that weekend of the 6th, 7th, and 8th will feature the Heineken Cup quarterfinalists. Featuring La Rochelle, they'll be at home for Montpellier. An unbelievable leader versus leader matchup between, incredibly, the two teams whose abbreviations are LEI. Can you even believe that? You can't make this stuff up. Then, Munster, they'll host Toulouse. And Racing 92 are at home for sale. That, that Munster match looks pretty tasty. Of course, the Challenge Cup also enjoys the very same break before coming back. And I'm sorry, their, their website is a bit of a mess. So it lists Toulon versus London Irish, followed by Toulon versus London Irish. And then Edinburgh will be home for Wasps, followed by Edinburgh at home for Wasps. So yeah, I can tell you the other teams that will be competing will be the Saracens, Gloucester, Lyon and Glasgow, I think, maybe, again, this is the beauty of this effed up tournament. Like, even if you can find the fixtures listed somewhere, it's it's more like a weather report. It's like, yeah, this is kind of what we think might happen. Uh, so you should at least kind of prepare for it, maybe. And <laughs> don't get me wrong, as always, I am eating it up. Moving on, Women's Six Nations com- comes back this weekend. I'm very excited for that. That will be one match Friday, one Saturday, and one Sunday. And praise be, they didn't put the Italy match on Sunday. So instead, Friday will feature Wales at home for France. Oof. Saturday, that's the Italy game. They'll be at home for Scotland. And then on Sunday, we'll see the almighty England back at home for Ireland. Should be great stuff. And then, down in Super Rugby Pacific, it's going to be what they've named, perhaps uncreatively, the Super Round, which for us just means all 12 teams will converge in Melbourne. Uh, They'll be at the AA... AAMI Park, where the entire round will be played. I don't know why I have such a... I'm always like, Melbourne? Melbourne? I I, I don't know why I stumble over that every single time. Maybe it's because I'm on the wrong side of the globe. Anyway, it should be pretty cool, actually. I mean, it's no unicorn festival, but still, they do what they can. In any event, that will, of course, feature on Friday the Chiefs facing the Waratahs, followed by Moana Pacifica facing the Force. On Saturday, it'll be Blues versus the Fijian Drua followed by Hurricanes versus the Reds. And then on Sunday, we'll have the final doubleheader of the week with my Highlanders facing the Brumbies and Crusaders facing the Rebels. What a weekend. It's going to be super. (laughs) Anyway, the URC and the Prem, they are both back as well. So in the URC, we've got a Friday uh, Friday threefer with Glasgow traveling to South Africa to face the Stormers. The crushed remains of the husks of men that are currently Ulster will be at home for Munster and Edinburgh at the goddamn health for a winless Zebra. On Saturday, the Bulls are at Loftus Versfeld for Benetton. And then we've got two Welsh derbies with Dragons at home for Scarlets and Cardiff hosting the Ospreys, as well as two Irish sides headed to the Rainbow Nation with Lions facing Connacht and Sharks welcoming powerhouse Leinster. Over in the Prem, they're back to what I consider their sort of usual format of two Friday fixtures, three on Saturday and one on Sunday. In this instance, Friday will feature Bristol at home for Gloucester, Newcastle versus London Irish, 
Saturday will bring us Bath versus Northampton. Uh, the Harlequins will face Leicester. Wow, that's going to be good. And then the War of the Ws with Wasps welcoming Worcester Warriors <laughs> on Sunday in a rematch of the final from just a few years ago, though it feels like an eon. Uh, Saracens will be hosting Exeter. Very tasty fixture, that one. And, of course, the glorious MLR keeps moving forward for round 12. What a season it's been so far. On Saturday, we'll see Houston at home uh, for Toronto. NOLA will be hosting Austin. As mentioned here in my recent chat with MLR stats guru James Dealey, the battle of the bottom with winless DC at home for the rudderless Dallas. That, that was in my notes. That's no longer the case. DC have a win. So it, I, I'm going to have to come up with a more clever name for this little matchup, uh, but it still looks dire for Dallas. Ooh, maybe that's it. Anyway, I admit I'm rooting for a draw on that one, uh, just to keep things interesting. Um, anyway, later that night, Utah will be facing Seattle. Of course, the schedulers, they brilliantly decided to save one match for Sunday, and oh boy, it's big. My beloved Free Jacks, they'll be on the bus to Hoboken for the two teams' penultimate showdown of the year. What a match that one should be. I can't wait. Well, my friends, that does it for another week. What an incredible weekend. Thank you all so much for listening and for reaching out. It's just always great to hear from you. As always, if you'd like to get in touch, please do so. You can use Twitter at of Scrum. You can find me at the Scrum of the Earth podcast on Insta. You can always just email me at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. If you can bring yourself to, you know, drop me a nice review. That would please me to no end. And as I mentioned, we actually got another five-star review this week. So that was great. And uh, a listener decided to buy me a beverage through the uh, through the sh- buy me a coffee link in the show notes. So that was great too. But whoever these listeners are, I really appreciate it. It really means a lot to me especially during a crap week like this. Anyway, thank you all for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon and be well.